0: This is an AMI podcast.
1: This is an AMI podcast.
2: This is AMI-audio Live, bringing community events closer to you. Hello
1: and welcome to AMI-audio Live at the ABC Annual Conference. Breaking barriers, making the invisible visible. My name is Juita Gupta, and I will be your host this afternoon. Over the next three hours, we'll be hearing from a range of speakers, some amazing panelists, as well as some entertainers, all coming together to recognize International Day of Persons with Disabilities and to talk about a theme that I feel has been top of mind for all of us in these last 20 months of pandemic – the realities of living with an invisible disability, depression, anxiety, you name it, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Over the next three hours, you'll be hearing from a range of voices. And one of these voices, of course, is Christine Zanier, who is the project lead. Now, normally you can hear me on The Pulse, which is heard every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern. But this Saturday, of course, we'll be spending our afternoon right here at this conference. And I'm gonna throw things over to Christine, who's gonna kick things off with a land acknowledgement. Take it away.
0: I am a white settler of Polish descent, third generation, and I use the pronouns she and her. For those who cannot see me, I have brown, curly, wavy hair. I wear glasses, and I'm wearing a red sweater with blue jeans. I am sitting in a gray chair. In the spirit of truth and reconciliation, the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians acknowledges that we are gathered here today on land that has been inhabited by Indigenous peoples of this territory from the beginning. As settlers, we are grateful for the opportunity to meet here and we thank all the generations of people who have taken care of this land for thousands of years and offer our recognition of the contributions and historic importance of Indigenous people. Now I would like to introduce you to Grandmother Roberta. Okay, thank you.
3: Thank you very much in honor of of everybody who is here today. I am a little white Buffalo woman. There and Luna are my teachers. I thank my parents and my grandparents for teaching me this, this way of life and in, in our natural land that we have. I thank the grandmothers and grandfathers in the eastern direction that we live and that they teach us how to look at things and put things in focus, and to see a lot clearer in our path. I thank the ancestors in in the South, that they share and they teach the connections that we have with one another. I thank the grandmothers and grandfathers, our ancestors in the West, that they take things from us that we do not need to carry. Because they are the ones that know the best and how to how to live in that way. So what we do not need to carry, we allow them to take it so they can work with it and help us. In the northern direction, we we thank our ancestors and our grandmothers and grandfathers in that direction that they stand all around us. They lead us. We follow the footsteps, and they watch us on either side of us to make sure that we stand up. And and the ancestors in the back, they follow and they encourage us, so that we don't fall back, and they keep us going. We thank Father Sky, who is who's there, who protects us. It is best to do that. We thank Grandmother Moon. For being there and for being the night sun for us and for all creatures and creation. And then we thank the water for being there, for being the medicine to our to our him to our bodies, to our system, to our feed, what we need to eat. We thank it for for cleaning us and for helping us to be clean and stay clean in the body, mind, and soul. We thank Mother Earth for
4: recording stopped.
3: Okay. We thank Mother Earth for being there and for giving us the the space to, to have our fat our food. We thank all the animals for teaching us for, for the life that we have. For they were here first. So in this day we have we are all here and and doing what we can to follow through on on our tasks and our journey and continue our life for, the, for our ancestors and that we walk this way. I we choose with that this afternoon. Thank you
0: very much, Roberta, for that lovely prayer and for grounding us. Now I'd like to turn it over to Ian White, who's going to give us some instructions um, for the participants on how to answer questions and some reminders. Over to you, Ian.
5: Hi, everybody. Um, thanks, Christine, for uh, that introduction. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm the um, current president of the CCB Toronto Visionaries, uh, local Toronto chapter of the Canadian Council of the Blind. And I've been asked to just uh, run through a couple of quick housekeeping um, issues with you guys. I wanted to start by letting everybody know that uh, the proceedings today will be accompanied by American Sign Language interpretation. Um, There are two interpreters working today. The first one is uh, labeled asl Nick, and the other is uh, labeled ASL-ANISA. So um, if you would like to have um, ASL interpretation, the uh, best way to do that is to go into the chat function and ask um, to be given multi-pin privileges. And once you've been given multi-pin privileges, you can... uh, pin uh, those two uh, interpreters uh, as you see fit. Uh, I also wanted to let you guys know that um, there are two ways to ask questions during the proceedings. Um, The first way is to go to the chat function and just type your question or your comment there. Um, I would ask uh, for the sake of those who use screen readers and have um, the chat function enabled, uh, if you could keep your um, comments relatively brief, uh, just because uh, what's going to happen is the screen reader will be reading your chat um, comments through to people, and that may uh, disrupt their ability to follow the um, the verbal proceedings. I um, wanted to let you know that uh, as we go through, a speakers list will be uh, generated and the chat function will be monitored your questions. Um, So if you want to um, put something in the chat, that's great. If you would prefer to just raise your hand, um, the way to do that uh, on a Windows PC, if you use Alt-Y, on a Mac, if you use Option-Y, and on the smartphone app, uh, if you just go into the More Uh, function, and you can find the button that uh, indicates raise hand. Um, If you've dialed in from a conventional telephone, uh, you can use star nine to raise your hand and lower your hand. It's a toggle. Um, I should also let you know that you can mute yourself on a Windows PC using alt A on a Mac using command plus shift plus A. On a smartphone, uh, you can locate the mute button right on the app. And if you've dialed in, the uh, toggle is star six. So that takes care of uh, the housekeeping portion of uh, the proceedings, and I'll turn it back to Christine.
0: Thank you very much, Ian, for all of those reminders. And I also wanted to say that our conference is really a safe space. So we really encourage your participation, your comments, and sharing your experiences with us because this is you know, truly a celebration for the International Day of Persons with Disabilities. So now I'd like to turn it over to Minette Samaru, who is the president of the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians Toronto Chapter. Over to you, Minette.
4: Thank you, Christine. Thank you, Grandmother Roberta. And thank you, Ian White, for your contribution so far. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the sixth annual International Day for Persons with Disabilities event hosted by the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians and partner organizations. This year, our our theme is Breaking Barriers, Making the Invisible Visible. Too often. Invisible disabilities are misunderstood or even dismissed as no disability. When in fact, there are more people living with an invisible disability than there are with a visible disability. Today, we hope to change that perception. This conference is a platform where we bring together individuals and organizations to collectively amplify our voice to raise awareness of our challenges as well as our successes and to have you join in our fight for equal opportunity for meaning, meaningful employment accessible affordable housing accessible education recreation communication recording and progressation and generally all programs and services. So sit back, relax, have a drink, and enjoy a fabulous list of speakers, panelists, and musicians. I'd like to acknowledge that this event is being broadcast live in EMI audio, and special thanks to EMI and Joita Gupta for being our host today. Joita Gupta is the host and producer of the on AMI audio. She's also a CBC radio columnist on disability issues and an editor and reporter on CBC's Toronto Metro Morning. She lives in Toronto with many houseplants and her husband. Thank you, Jorida, for being our host today. Now it is my pleasure to introduce our keynote speaker, who is Melanie Taddeo. Melanie is a passionate advocate for inclusion, who at the age of 21 suffered a massive stroke that left her completely paralyzed on her left side and legally blind. After years of therapy, she was able to regain her independence and go on to become the first legally blind teacher to graduate in Ontario. Congratulations, Melanie. She is a certified special education teacher with over 20 years of experience in program development, on raising, community outreach, volunteer management, and public speaking. Melanie founded Connect for Life and Voices for Ability V4A Radio based on her personal experience of the lack of programs that promote independence for people with disabilities. She has made it her goal to empower others to achieve their dreams. Melanie published her first book in 2019, My, Un- My Unforeseen Journey, Losing Sight, Gaining Vision. Everyone, let's welcome Melanie Tadio. It's over to you, Melanie.
6: Thank you so much, Manette, for that
3: introduction.
6: Good afternoon, everyone. How are you? What a wonderful day it is today, and it is my honor and privilege to be with you today, celebrating the International Day of Persons with Disabilities. Maya Angelou once said, you may not control the events that happen to you, but you can decide not to be reduced by them. These are powerful words, aren't they? But do you think I listened to these words when I was faced with adversity? Oh, no, no, no. In one ear, out the other. You see, it wasn't my time. I hadn't found the power within me just yet. But once I did, these words changed my life. At the age of 21, I suffered a massive stroke that left me completely paralyzed on the left side and legally blind. My life was turned upside down, but it's okay. I'm all right now. You see, I'm paralyzed on the left side, so I'm all right now as I wave my right hand. (laughs) Okay, I know what you're thinking. I didn't claim to be a comedian. But I do like to add humor to every day. I was a vibrant young woman with an artistic flair, who loved life. I was studying visual art in my fourth year of university with hopes to go on to become a teacher. That was my dream. And everything I had done was in preparation for that dream. In my spare time, I would volunteer as a soccer coach, a big sister, and anything else to gain experience working with children. I had just secured the most amazing summer job, teaching art at a daycare. I was living the dream, doing what I loved and making money until unforeseen change entered my life. It had been a hot, sticky summer day at work and I was so tired but I had to go and coach my sister's soccer practice. As I was driving on the highway, I started to get a really bad headache. I'd had migraines before, so I didn't think much of it. But somehow, this one was different. Suddenly, I lost the vision in my left eye. Miraculously, I got my car to the side of the road on the shoulder, when I completely freaked out, praying that my eyesight would return. Now, my family always said that I was stubborn. I personally like to say I'm determined. It sounds much nicer, don't you think? Well, I'm not sure if it was my stubborn strength or my sheer determination, but I got myself to that practice. As I reflect, okay, we're going to say stubborn. Because who goes and coaches a soccer practice with losing the vision in their left (laughs) eye? That would be me. Oh, yes. Yes. After the practice, I was rushed to the hospital where I underwent emergency eye surgery to relieve the pressure from behind my eyes. After the surgery, I wasn't quite myself. I was lethargic, but they sent me home to recover. Three days later, I was told to follow up with my family doctor. At the top of the stairs at my parents' house, my life started to spin out of control. I suffered the stroke at the top of the staircase. This time, I was rushed to the hospital where I underwent emergency life-saving brain surgery, during which I slipped into a coma. It's true what they say. You can sense your environment in real time when you're in a coma. I can smell the cleanliness of the hospital. My mother's... Perfume, Calvin Klein's obsession when she came to my bedside. I could feel my sister doing my nails. And I could hear everything going on around me. It's amazing what people will tell you, the secrets you hear when they think you're going to die. My artistic brain took over, creating multicolored masterpieces to illustrate everything I heard. So when my Aunt Donna came to my bedside to give me hope and encouragement and to tell me to get my act together, I'd see pinks and purples to help represent her loving personality. And when my little sister Trish came to my bedside to confess that she had stolen my case of peach gum, I literally and figuratively saw red. Can you believe the nerve? As I laid in my bed, I felt as if I was trapped. I couldn't move. And I was surrounded by darkness. My doctors came and told my family they needed to plan my funeral. I felt as if I was trapped in my own coffin. I was given the last rites. I wanted to yell out, I'm still alive! But I couldn't move. I was so afraid. But something started to burn inside of me. And I had a vision that was so clear. It was of a big oak tree, and there was a big branch on that oak tree. And sitting there was my uncle and my grandfather who had both passed away. Behind that oak tree was a bright light shining on me. My uncle and grandfather said, You're not fighting hard enough. You're not fighting hard enough. It is not your time. Suddenly, I woke to the dismay and disbelief of the doctors and my family. Everybody was celebrating, but I couldn't see or move. This was only the beginning of my journey. I had to learn to walk, to talk, to feed myself and be independent, not to mention having to live my life as a blind woman. I worked with many therapists through my journey of rehabilitation. Physio, occupational, speech therapists, you name it, I worked with them. There was one therapist that stands out in my mind. I remember rolling my wheelchair to physio on the very first day. She said, Melanie, do you want to walk again? I said, oh, yes. See, I want it to be normal, quote, unquote, whatever normal is. And I said, absolutely. She said, you can because the power is within you. Hmm. She's like, are you up for the challenge? It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard work. I said, definitely, I can do this. And I did, every day going, working endlessly through the sweat, the tears, and the pain. Taking from a wheelchair to a quad cane, a singular prong cane, and finally to walking independently. I remember taking those first steps by myself. She was standing there on the sidelines cheering me on. And after I finished walking, she turned to me and said, this is the power of you power of me? Can you imagine what I could do if I used this power for other things? Wow. Well, I did just that. After regaining my independence, I did what any normal person with a dream would do. I applied to teacher's college. Now, based on my experience and my grades from before the stroke, they had to give me an interview. But it went like this. How are you going to do this with your disability? And how are you going to do that with your disability? I finally had to say to her, I thought this interview was about my abilities and not my disability. She said, oh, welcome to advocacy. I was accepted. But on my very first day, the professor said to me, you'll be gone by Christmas. I smiled politely and said, watch me. That power within me burned brightly not to listen to the naysayers, to prove to myself and everyone else that I could do it. And I did. I graduated at the top of my class as the first legally blind teacher to graduate in Ontario. I was so proud. But then nobody would hire me. I was devastated, frustrated, and wanted to give up. But I realized I had this power within me, this gift of teaching that I needed to share with the world. So I started to think outside of the box, get creative. I've met many individuals with various disabilities on my journey who said they wanted to achieve their dreams and goals as well. So I created a charity called Connect for Life, where we help individuals with disabilities access education and training programs to help them reach their goals. Over the last seven years, I've helped hundreds of people. Yes, maybe I'm teaching not the traditional way, or maybe it's a little unconventional, but in the areas of life skills, radio broadcasting, public speaking, and job readiness, we help people find their dreams and goals. The power within me kept pushing me forward. Over the years, I was told I should write a book. I thought, yeah, yeah, someday, someday. It wasn't until 2018 when I received Michelle Obama's audiobook, Becoming. I sat there engaged, riveted to her words, listening to her story. I remember pausing and saying to my husband, This is so inspiring. He said, This is why people tell you, you should write a book. I asked him, Who would want to hear my story? He smiled and said, Melanie, you don't seem to understand how many people you inspire. I do? I was surprised. But he had planted a seed, and that power within me started to do its work. I reached out to a publisher and said to her, I want to share my story, but I want to give my readers more than just my story. I want to provide them with tangible tips and tricks of how to overcome unforeseen change in their life. We all face it. A breakup of a relationship, a death of a family member, loss of a job, or let's think hmm, a pandemic. Things we can't prepare for that are going to happen when we're faced with that choice to give up or fight. In 2019, I published My Unforeseen Journey, Losing Sight, Gaining Vision. And I had planned an amazing book tour for 2020. You can imagine how that went. It didn't. But today I'm here to tell you that each and every one of you has the power within you. It doesn't matter about all the books you've read, about all the stories you've heard, or about anyone else. What matters is about you. Find out what gives you the power within you. What areas in your life are you facing adversity? What's getting in your way? Dig deep and find that power within you to help overcome them because only you know what's best for you. I could sit here and tell you all the things I did, but that's not going to help. Finding your power is what's going to give you the key to success in all areas of your life. And only you have the power to ignite your power. So I encourage you all to find your power because that will help you not only cover the struggles in your life, but help to make change in the world. Now, you may say, wow, Melanie, you've come out on the other side of adversity. And it may look like that. But something happened when I was seeming to move forward. Inside, I was drowning. I met the invisible intruder. (laughs) Nobody had told me about this. I faced anxiety, depression, panic disorder, even agoraphobia, not being able to leave the house. I was trying to express what I was going through. I was so afraid. But people kept saying, oh, you look fine. It's all in your head. Suck it up. Move on. I was sitting there in disbelief. How could they not get it? But also because those words echoed in my ears. You see, the year before, I had said those exact same words to my sister. Because I had no clue the impact of mental health on somebody. Because nobody really was talking about it. People saw it as something of stigma, something to be ashamed of or embarrassed. (laughs) But that power within me kept pushing me to keep trying and fighting day by day. I turned to therapy, support groups, some medication, and a lot of self-love to help me get through my darkest times. But the one thing that kept me going and also helped me cope was by sharing my story with others Something beautiful happened. I learned I wasn't alone. There was many people out there experiencing what I was experiencing. I learned from their examples and how they were coping. But something obvious slapped me in the face as well. The lack of education about invisible disabilities. For educators, employers, for everyday people like you and I. This silent intruder or invisible intruder, as I call it, was something we needed to talk more about because we need to understand the impact that mental health has on individuals with disabilities and anyone across the world. Now I could sit here and spout stats and reasons why we need to do this, but it's like singing to a choir. I will say this though, by sharing our stories of what we've been going through and how we have allowed the power within us shine brightly, it will help make the invisible visible. Now, every one of us here has been impacted by COVID-19. There's been a a lot of things come to light, both good and bad. The fear, the unknown, uncertainty for all of us has put things in the spotlight for individuals with disabilities Things have been magnified in great amounts. Yes, loneliness and isolation may not be new to a lot of us with disabilities, but the gaps that exist were shining brightly. Unemployment, lack of resources, the disconnect from services and disruption of services and not being able to access the health services that we needed caused great alarm and hurt the well-being of individuals with disabilities. But also, some amazing things started to happen. People from our communities started to take time to reflect on what was important for them. They turned to one another to look for support, checking on their neighbors and friends if they were okay, picking up the phone, reaching out on Zoom to see if they had groceries, even when they didn't. This is the beautiful thing of our resilient community. People turned to the arts to help cope. Coloring, painting, singing, and even writing. They connected via Zoom with trivia nights, parties, and meetings to help keep the sanity for us when we were struggling, so many of us. How have you coped with the pandemic? Have you seen the silver linings of what was possible with Zoom? traveling the country, coming together at events just like today, being able to gather with people across the nation that we may never have met before, coming together and sharing stories. We have the power within each of us to make a change. As I mentioned, we, just all of the gaps are out there, but by sharing our stories, we will definitely bring light to the barriers we face the challenges that the disability community face on a regular basis. But also it allows us to express ourselves, to feel heard. I encourage you all to search for the power within you, to find the the areas that you're passionate about a cause, whether it's about equality, breaking down barriers, or anything that you're passionate about, and to embrace it. This is an opportunity for us all, not only to self-reflect, and to share our stories, but also to come together as a community. We can take this opportunity on the International Day of Persons with Disabilities and reflect on how far we've come, but also importantly, understand how far we still have to go. This, we can make changes and break down barriers by sharing our stories, talking about accessibility, the barriers we're facing, not by stomping our feet, but by connecting with one another, sharing the stories of resilience and of defeat. But always remember what Maya Angelou said. Those words are powerful. They will get you through. You don't have to worry about being alone. Oh, no, no. Because remember, Helen Keller once said, alone we can do so little, but together we can do so much. So let's come together, share our stories, so that we can break down the barriers to work towards an world that is equitable, where each and every one of us is heard, seen, and valued just as we are. Thank you so very much.
1: Hello and welcome. If you're joining us right now, my name is Chuita Gupta. I am hosting AMI-audio's live coverage of the International Day of Persons with Disabilities Conference, organized by the Alliance of Equality for Blind Canadians. Today's theme, Breaking Barriers, Making the Invisible Visible. You heard the keynote address, delivered by Melanie Tadeo, talking about accessing the power within each and every one of us. Let's take a quick break here, but when we come back, we'll get some questions from the floor and let the conference roll on. This is AMI-audio Live, and I'm Jyothi Gupta. As they like to say in this business, don't touch that dial. is live at the International Day of Persons with Disabilities Conference organized by the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. This year's theme, making the breaking barriers, making the invisible visible. I'm Joey Gupta. I'm the host for this afternoon, and it's great to be with you. If you're joining us just right now, we heard a very inspiring keynote address from Melanie Tadeo, And now Melanie's in the process of taking some audience questions. Let's take you to the conference floor. Okay. Hey. So the question is, did you have uh, biases toward
7: individuals with disabilities prior to your stroke? And what do you think about those who have biases toward people with disabilities? And after that, Garda has her hand up.
6: Okay, Elizabeth, thank you so much. I love this question and absolutely I did. I'm so ashamed, but you know what I did. When I used to see people with disabilities, I would get really nervous. Am I going to offend them? I remember my first day at CIB going for, to receive services for myself. I said to myself, do I look at them in the eye? Oh, my gosh, how ignorant, right? So the, what I realized is I was so uneducated. I had never experienced disability or working with individuals with disabilities at that point. So what I encouraged for ourselves as individuals with disabilities, but also for those without is to educate yourself, to see people for their abilities, not their disability. We're all human. We all believe the same color. And no matter what type of disability we have, invisible, visible, whatever, we're all just human and we want the same dreams and goals. But thank you for that question. Thank you. Because I I talk about this a lot. I was ignorant, really ignorant.
7: Garda has her hand up. Yeah, thank you, unmuted. thank you. My name is Gerda, and
8: thank you, Melanie, for your inspiring speech. Now, you talked about the power within, the power of you. And especially when we go through such big events that could very easily keep us just, you know, where keep us where we don't want to stay. How did you get... Can you tell us a little bit more about that power within that has not left you to succumb to the tragedy that you went
6: through? You know, thank you, Gerida, so much for this question. It's interesting because the power within us resonates differently for everybody. For me, it was this push almost that said, keep going, you've got this, don't worry about what anyone else says, just do your very best. And that little voice, you know, we've got the naysayer one in your voice, the negative voice, but this one was a positive one, a feeling that I needed to do more, not just for myself, but for others around me. As I met so many beautiful individuals across the globe with disabilities, we all want the same thing. We want to be heard, seen, and valued just as they are. So, despite a small event when I teach, or even coming here today, we all are nervous, we're excited. But we want to connect, and by connecting and listening to other people's stories, because let's face it, I have my own lived experience, and another blind person who happens to be paralyzed will have a completely different story. So I have to listen, not only to the power within me, but to hear other people's power within them. So
7: thank you. There's... some. Um wayne has her his hand up wayne please go ahead you have to unmute yourself wayne
9: to ask
10: him to unmute first there you go there
9: you go it was just taking a moment. We all have to hit the key every once in a while. Yeah, so. Sorry about that. <laughs> no problem. So it's uh, it's Wayne Henshall here. So Melanie, thanks for the, the the talk. I've had the opportunity to interact with you, but I've also had the opportunity to read the book. And I just wanted to share that uh, it is, uh, it has been hyper um, uh, focused uh, through the pandemic times about, uh, about awareness of what else is going on in everyone's lives, right? Uh, and sometimes it, it, can help us come together, but I think of it also as uh, I interpret it myself when we think about mental health or or the uh, unconscious biases that we all have as we go forward, and I think of it as my moi moment, M-O-I, so uh, an emphatic yes in the French language, but moi is a moment of introspection, so if we can just take that moment of introspection, and as I was listening to you talk, I was... I was doing that moment of introspection as we go forward. So I just wanted to share. Thank you for that. And it helps us all uh, think as we go forward. So thank you.
11: Thanks so
6: much, Wayne, for your thoughts. And it's true. We have to take the time to reflect for ourselves because that's when the biggest learning growth happens. And those aha or more moments, as you said, I love
11: that, by the way, <laughs> happen.
4: Anyone
7: else has always hand, <laughs> Jana. Uh, there's no more questions or comments. There was greetings from someone from Virginia, so thank you for joining. Um, as we can see, this day is being celebrated not just in Toronto, Canada, but Toronto is celebrated many, many uh, places. I don't. I see one more hand from some from Kevin, and then from someone who's on the phone. So I don't see the number. But uh, Kevin, go ahead.
12: Hi, Melanie. Uh, as you know, we had a chance to meet up last week, and I just wanted to say uh, thank you for agreeing to do this and to bring bridges of inclusion forward for all of us. But my question uh, for you, Melanie, is. I'm always interested to ask other people in the space their keys to uh, developing more bridges of diversity and inclusion uh, for other people with disabilities to flourish and thrive in in all aspects of societal life. So, how do you think we can? Uh, bridge the divine and provide more opportunities for folk with disabilities to su- succeed in society? Thank you. And, and thanks for the answer.
6: Oh, thank you so much, Kevin, for that beautiful question. I love this. So here's the thing. We are each unique and we have our own special talents and gifts. And each one of us brings something different to the table, a different perspective, different lived experiences. And despite our disabilities, our backgrounds, we each need to listen to one another in order to grow and truly understand how we can all interconnect and help make change in the world. So by encouraging people to share their stories and then to play our part by listening and asking questions when we're unsure or un educated on things I can't even begin to experience what anybody else here in this room has experienced unless I hear it from you directly so I encourage us all to give people the safe platform safe space like here today for people to share their stories for people to come together and learn from one another and then together we can work a way of how we can move forward to hear be heard seen and valued because let's face it, the theme of this year is making the invisible visible. And the only way to do that is by working together.
10: Thank you, Kevin. Hey, and our phone person from ending in 482, you can try and speak now or try star six if that doesn't work.
13: Hello? There you go, you George,
10: me? I thought it was you. Okay, go
11: ahead. Uh, yeah, yeah, George. yeah hi.
13: Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed your, your, your wonderful story that you had told, uh, Melanie. It shows that uh, people with disabilities can uh, overcome and conquer uh, challenges in, in, in life. And I've met many people that have had uh, very many interesting stories and situations that uh, I don't think that I would want to have to deal with in, in, in my life. I was told when I was about uh, 20, 21 years of age, uh, at, 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 as a young man, just starting out in life, that I was permanently unemployable. Uh, this is, I think, somebody from the Ministry of Community and Social Services. I was told by a district administrator um, uh, in another city in which I lived that, that uh, um, you can't really expect too much out of life as, as, a, as a blind person, that uh, you will um, um, pretty much be stuck on blind pension the rest of your life and, uh, you know, uh, live a, a kind of a... A, a poor a poor man's life etc etc um I'm, i have learned through uh, life experiences through the uh things that i've been taught by other people and through my uh, my religion the faith of which i'm a member that's in mortality there are many challenges and that it's not what happens to you, it's what you do about what happens to you, the,
9: the, 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 how,
13: how, how, you how you deal with uh, things that go on in, uh, in your life. When they go my, my little phrase, my short phrase, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. And I've heard of a new one uh, recently from a DeWalt tool uh, on, on the hockey games that advertise, uh, the, the tough get tougher. That doesn't mean to get mean and nasty about life. That means instead of getting bitter, get better. I'm George Stevens. The people that run this conference know who I am, and I'm the spark behind ADP reform. Because the government told me a couple of years ago I couldn't have a certain device, I thought, I'm not going to take this laying down. Um, I'm 60, 68 years of age, and I'm going to continue on fighting for what I believe, for just causes, and I'm pleased and proud that, that uh, as a member of AEBC and as a member of of, of to uh, be visionaries and balance that I can be part of advocacy groups that have a positive attitude uh, uh, toward life and toward life's challenges and that t- together we can win And that uh, a, a principle of, of the W. Ross McDonald where I attended for eight years uh, had once taught us uh, the impossible is only the untried. Thank you.
6: Thank you, George, so much for your comments. I really feel what you said is valuable in the sense that we need to. We all are going to have naysayers in our life, but we need to believe in our heart of hearts. What is people are easily brush us off as individuals with disabilities, uneducatable, unemployable, all of those negative terms. But in your mind, you know what your abilities and talents are. We need to bring those to the forefront and help educate and show people. People should be seen for their abilities, not their disabilities. So thank
7: you, George. We have a question, which I will read on the on the chat. And then the last hand up is from Robert Trudell. So Robert, let me ask this question. And then Melanie, you can answer to both questions. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Anthony asked, did you have an aha moment or an epiphany through your journey that validated perspective now and as your journey continues. And Robert, the floor is yours.
6: So you want me to answer Anthony's question first? I'm sorry. Sure. You can do that. Because I'll get distracted. (laughs) So Anthony, what a great question. I have had so many aha moments, but the power of you moment from the therapist is the first one. That's the catalyst of it all. As well, of course, when you accomplish a goal, you know, graduating from teacher's college uh, and not getting employed, (laughs) that was a big aha moment. Things that make you have to make change and adjust your life. Because, again, we, we all come with that choice. Do we give up or do we fight? And I think each of us do. But most recently, I will say the pandemic has been a big aha moment. It gave me so much time to reflect on what was important and to listen to other people's stories and see where the gaps were and then to take a stand to help advocate for my clients and for others with disabilities who may not have the confidence of what they're going through or even experiencing and being an ear. So, again, so many aha moments. I, think I love that question. Thank you. And then go ahead now. Sorry,
7: Robert's question. Uh, Robert, you're going to unmute yourself.
4: This we be a question for the section.
7: I'm sorry,
10: Minette. What did you say?
4: This will be our final question for this section.
10: Okay, and I'm trying to ask Robert to unmute, and it worked once, and and it. Let's try it again. There you go. Okay, Robert. <laughs> I think he keeps muting himself. I, I I ask him to unmute, and and he. Okay, try now, Robert. All right, one more time. You need to dot. You need to tab to the the yes or unmute. Okay, there you go. You should be unmuted now, Robert. Say something.
13: Uh, am I unmuted now? There you go. Okay. Uh, what is your book called?
6: My Unforeseen Journey, Losing Sight, Gaining Vision. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. And thank you, everyone, for celebrating with us today. And I wish everyone a beautiful rest of the afternoon. And you're going to enjoy all the upcoming speakers and entertainers. Thank you for the opportunity.
4: Thank you once again, Melanie. And thank you for all those who have so much important questions. And thank you, Melanie, for answering them. We'll now have a five minute break, and during that break, we'll have Christine Sanye recite a poem that is written by one of ABC's members. Over to you, Christine.
0: Thank you very much, Manette. Raj was born in Guyana, South America, and he presently resides in Toronto, where he works as an access technology instructor with the visually challenged. When Raj was just one year old, he had an accident with pop bottles, which was responsible for him losing all his vision in his right eye. When he was almost seven, he lost the vision in his left Apart from his work, Raj enjoys many hobbies and interests, writing and reading stories, poems, doing charity work, and he has his own charitable foundation. Now I would like to share Raj's poem. Today I rise. Today I rise with honour on a brand new day of hope in a world greeted with sunshine splendour where gray clouds once hover and smote. As I cross familiar thresholds, like oftentimes before, where dawns and scorn awaited, where my heart and being was torn. But on this day, I step with honor as I hold my head up high. I traverse new heights and corners with new feet, new ears and eyes. As I crest and descend the hills and valleys, and behold each cracks and smears, the thorns and wells of sorrow where we once dreamed and hope and wear, in a world with tales of pity, where the worthless bone was tossed, is now an emerald city, no more dejected and lost. On this day we are handed the toolbox to work to build and write new themes, new songs in history, and the darkened pathway light. As we behold each new horizon and celebrate this day as one people in a united nation, our abilities, our worth and works are now displayed. Raj wrote this poem with the International Day of Persons with Disabilities several years ago, and it brings to light what and how people living with a disability experience life and what we are now experiencing since this day was declared by the United Nation on December 3rd in 1992.
1: Thank what you very a much, beautiful Raj, poem by Raj, Raj. Tripivan. If you've just joined us now, you're listening to AMI-audio live at the IDPD conference, celebrating, of course, International Day of Persons with Disabilities. This year's theme is all about breaking barriers, making the invisible visible my name is Joyita gupta let's take a quick break here but when we come back words matter moving towards creating a language of acceptance for autism and disability that's still ahead you're listening to ami audio live and we'll be back in just a moment Welcome back, or welcome if you're just joining us. My name is Juhita Gupta, and AMI-audio is live at the International Day of Persons with Disabilities Conference put on by the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. This year's theme, Breaking Barriers, Making the Invisible Visible. Let's head over to the conference where they're about to get things underway. They too were taking a quick break, but of course they're ready to get things started with a keynote address that talks about creating an inclusive and accepting language around disability, particularly invisible disabilities like autism. Let's go straight over to the conference floor.
4: The
1: language of acceptance.
4: Changing the language of autism and disability. Manny Dever uses the pronoun "they" and "them." is a non-binary, wheelchair-using autistic adult and parent of five children, the three also on the autism spectrum, living in Carlton Place in rural Eastern. Ontario. Mali advocates with both the provincial and federal government for inclusion and, and acceptance of autistic individuals and for autistic people. To have their own voice in policy decisions. Maddie has been an advocate for change in education, affordable and accessible housing, as well as moving the disability support rates out of poverty levels. Maddie is on the board of directors of Canadian Autism Spectrum Disorder Alliance where they are helping with aspects of developing a national autism strategy. In 2021, they spoke twice to the Human Rights Committee regarding the Convention on the Rights of Persons
12: with Disabilities.
4: Thank you, Maddie, and welcome. Today's event, and it's
12: over to you. Well, thank you for
14: your introduction, and thank you, Melanie. You have set the bar high for everyone else today. My name is Maddie Dever, and I am autistic. I am non binary and use they them pronouns. I'm a parent of five kids, four of whom are also autistic. I am diabetic. I'm a wheelchair user due to a spinal cord injury. I am white with long brown hair. I wear glasses. I'm sitting in a wide brown chair. I am a Sens hockey fan. Sorry about that, least fans. I am Canadian. And all of these describe parts of my identity and make up who I am. All of these words identify me in positive or neutral ways. Now, there are many other words that could describe those same aspects in negative ways, focusing on that which I can't do. However, I choose instead to live my life and describe myself and others in a strength-based way. Words matter. Now, today in the short time I have with you, I hope to share with you a little bit about my journey as an autistic, a parent, and an advocate. I'm going to talk to you about the models of disability and how they can affect the language that we use. And I will share with you the importance of acceptance, of accommodations, and inclusion. Now, feel free to ask questions in the chat. And at the end of my talk, I will begin to answer as many questions as I have time for. And I also share how to reach me. I started out this journey when my first child was diagnosed with autism. I was, it was not something I was too much aware of 20 years ago. But I knew that it was something that absolutely frightened my mom. However, my journey as a parent of an autistic child started out a lot different than many parents upon hearing a diagnosis. For me, I felt it was the greatest day ever because I had a name that described my son, that put into context why he didn't talk much, why he didn't seek play with others, amongst many other things. I remember going on a train ride for a business trip shortly after getting his diagnosis and searching the internet, devouring everything I could now that I had a label to look for. Autism has never scared me. Long before I myself was diagnosed, I could never see autism or even autistic traits as something to be afraid of or ashamed of. And I've spent much of these last 20 years working to share that understanding of autism with educators, other parents, as well as with politicians and policymakers. And and since that day, 20 years ago, I have now had a total of five children. And with each child began a new journey of neurodivergence. Four of my children are autistic and one has been diagnosed with ADHD. They are all different, yet also similar. And they have many strengths and many challenges. They are all over the autistic spectrum. Now, in the midst of this, I was diagnosed as well, while on my own journey, to understand the challenges and difficulties that I faced in both my childhood and my adult life. So many of the struggles I was seeing in my children were reminding me of the very, very similar struggles that I faced at their age. And when I began my advocacy journey, most of it was aimed at making the lives of my children better. My four autistic kids each have their own strengths and challenges and needs that require support in very different ways. Advocating in our school system was, and still is, a daily challenge. But this type of advocacy leads only to small successes and so much stress. And I began to see more systemic issues that needed to be addressed. Not just for my own kids, but for all autistic kids and their families. So then my advocacy began to expand to advocating at the school board level and eventually to provincial politicians. The last three years have seen me thrust thoroughly into autism advocacy with the changes to the Ontario Autism Funding Model in 2019. I was invited to be a member of the Ontario Autism Program advisory panel in the summer of 2019, one of the first autistics to be able to do that. And I continued this advocacy work as a member of the Ontario Autism Program's Implementation Working Group for the last two years, which we're just finishing up this month. And I realized several years ago that if we want to change the way we work with autistic people, we also need to change our own attitudes. And I see the best way at changing attitudes is by changing our own vocabulary regarding autism, autistics, and disabilities in general. I've been able to branch out and use my new networks and connections to speak and educate parents, professionals, researchers, especially on how to change the language we use to speak about autism and disability. And here we are today. Deficit, disorder, dysfunction, intervention, fix, broken, cure. These are the words that exemplify so much of what is wrong with the medical model of disability. Most of us trained in the medical and health professions today have been schooled and steeped in these terms and many others. Now, the medical model of disability defines disability as being caused by one's own brokenness. It's illness or disorder that is causing us to not function in a typical way. In order to address our disability, we need to be treated, intervention is necessary, and cures must be sought in hopes that the patient will have become normal or fixed. The focus is on fixing us, and we are defined by our limitations and are not being normal. And many of the terms used to describe autism and other disabilities focuses on what we can't do and emphasizes that parents need to get therapies that can intervene and fix their child. Now, the assumptions made about us and all of the hurtful, damaging language that gets used with and about us are all based on the premise that we are the problem, that we are damaged, that we need something done to us to make us normal and healthy there must be a better way. Disability rights activists have for decades complained that this concept of disability did not match their own experiences and were greatly concerned about how negative it made others feel about them and how they perceived themselves. They felt that it was the world around them and the barriers, both visible and invisible, that were disabling them. And this brought about the concept of a social model of disability. In this model, Instead of needing to fix or heal the condition a person has, you instead find accommodations to allow a person to live a full life. Instead of focusing on what's wrong with the person, you look at the barriers, both physical and systemic, and work to remove those barriers. And so many of the barriers we face are attitudes, norms, and unspoken expectations. When we address these, so many things become easier, and we have a better view and acceptance of our own value and worth. Our worth isn't based on what we can contribute to society, but rather we are worthy because we exist. And we need to hear this and know this and accept this for ourselves. The concept of removing systemic barriers is a key concept that ableism shares with all the other isms. What is ableism? Ableism is the the, the discrimination of and social prejudice against people with disabilities based on the belief that typical abilities and able bodies are superior. We need to root out ableism and tear down these barriers. I said earlier that I live my life in a strength-based way, but what do I mean by that? A strength-based approach focuses on the innate strengths that we have, the things that we can do and do well. It doesn't ignore the challenges, but it acknowledges them. Looks for supports for them. But on the whole, we look at ourselves in a positive or neutral light. And this isn't always easy, especially for me this past year. In June 2020, I was in a catastrophic car accident where I was hit from behind while stopped at a light. My spinal cord was damaged, amongst many other injuries. And I ended up having emergency spinal cord surgery in the summer on my neck. I'm now in a wheelchair, and I've lost most of the use of my left hand and part of my right. The things that I used to do, I cannot do any longer. And now in the past having all these disabilities and experiencing all of the things I lost would overwhelm me but I have focused on all the things that I can still that I still can do I can still think clearly I can still talk and share my thoughts and I can still write even as challenging as that can be now not every day is easy to do that but part of what helps me is that I've chosen to use language to describe my disabilities in strength based ways Now, autism and autistics have been historically seen in a negative light. Autism being seen as a disorder is at the root of the problem. So we need to change the words and the phrases that come from the very deficit-focused medical model of disability. For example, instead of using the word symptoms, let's use characteristics or traits. Instead of deficit, let's use challenges. Instead of severe, let's use extensive. Let's stop talking about comorbid conditions and start calling them co-occurring or coexisting conditions. And autism isn't something to be feared of, so let's stop talking to parents about the red flags or the risks of autism and instead talk about the possible or early signs of autism. And please, please, please don't say we are suffering from or affected by autism. And we need to go further to look at our language and the words we speak when it comes to the ableist idioms and insults that have been in common use since our own childhood. Terms like lame and blinded by have all been used because being disabled has been seen to be a deficiency, something to be pitied, something to be fearful of. Being able-bodied is superior, and this system of thought all begins with the words we choose to use. We need to practice different things and stop trying to other people. And we see this with racism, sexism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, with fatphobia. We need to be intentional with what we say. And when we do that, it is harder to treat others as worse or different. Words matter. Now, one of the areas we get caught up in our language is in how we talk when referring to us. Now, over the last 20 years, there has been a concerted effort in the medical and parent communities to use person-first language when discussing us. For some reason, there needed to be an effort to see us separate from our disability, person with disability, person with autism, person in a wheelchair. And when it comes to those disabilities, which have a more negative stigma, parents can be even more fond of its use. Autism doesn't have my kid. My kid has autism. But we use identity language all the time, especially when it comes to things that are positive in our lives. Like I introduced myself at the beginning of this talk. I am Canadian. I'm a parent. I am a child. I am right-handed. I am white. I am gifted. I'm a Sens fan. Again, sorry, Leafs and Habs fans. If I use person-first language to describe these parts of me, it would sound like this. I have Canadianness. I have offspring. I have parents. I have right-handedness. I have whiteness. I have giftedness. I have a fan interested in the Sens. None of this sounds right. It doesn't feel comfortable describing myself this way. And even my grammar checker had a really hard time with this. Now, I want to draw attention to one thing I said. I said, I am gifted. Not that I have giftedness. We overwhelmingly use identity-first language to describe positive traits. Now, the issue isn't that we need to center the person and not the disability. The issue that we're having is that we're seeing disability as a significantly negative thing. Now, the vast majority of autistics and many other members of our disability community prefer identity-first language. I am autistic. However, it's not universal, and each community and each person gets to decide how they identify. A good rule of thumb, though, is that when it comes to talking about a person, talk about them. And consider using identity-first language, but you can always ask. Now, if you're uncomfortable saying, is autistic, then use the the diagnosis neutrally by saying, on the autism spectrum, or is diagnosed with autism. Now remember, autism, autistic, disability, and disabled are not bad words, and they should be used openly and said said openly and comfortably. Now, when it comes to autism, not only do we have to deal with the stigma of being autistic to start with, but we also have to deal with the concepts of levels of functioning, high functioning, low functioning. Now, until a few years ago, there were several different diagnoses for autism asperger's pervasive developmental disability classic autism and a few others now they were all brought together and called autism autism spectrum disorders merging all these similar diagnoses together under one umbrella autism was a controversial but a good thing but what do medical folks do with good things they muck it up by having levels of functioning level one two three like where some characters in a video game I'd love to level up my autism. A few special interests here, piercing anxiety over here. Oh, and let's throw a sensory meltdown for good measure. You've leveled up. What does that give you? More stigma. The problem is how an autistic can function one day in one area may be very different the next. Functioning describes our perceived capabilities at one moment in time. Strengths that we may have in one area May mask significant gaps or challenges in other areas. Change can quickly make someone appear low functioning who has been previously deemed high functioning, and executive functioning is usually the first domain we see a drop in our capabilities. Now, I've experienced this personally quite a bit this past year. When I'm in a lot of pain, my ability to speak diminishes significantly. My ability to focus and get my thoughts out gets much harder. And impatient medical professionals make me very stressed. I don't appear capable. I can't communicate at the rate they expect me to. And I then appear very low-functioning. It's frustrating and demeaning and demoralizing because there are still areas I can function with. My strengths in the other areas are still high. They're still functioning. We need to change how we see the autism spectrum. It is not a linear spectrum where we either more autistic Or less autistic. It is more like the spectrum of a color wheel where we see all of the domains like language, motor skills, executive functioning, and others along the sides, and that we have the relative strengths or challenges in each area. And that can change from day to day, month to month, year to year, and change when there are different stresses or events in our life. The problem with functioning labels is that there is an increased expectation of those who are high-functioning to have strengths in all areas, while those who are considered low-functioning have lowered expectations and their strengths can be missed altogether. Functioning labels are ableist. They don't help the autistic in any way, but continue the stigma towards certain autistics and faulty expectation towards others. At least my kid is high-functioning. This language harms us. And needs to stop. What is most important is not the label, but our needs. Now, as we work on changing our acceptance, sorry, as we work on changing our language, what we are really doing is moving our world towards acceptance, to a world that accepts us for who we are as we are. However, our ultimate goal is inclusion. But our society has a misconception or misunderstanding as to what inclusion means. Now, Many educators in our school system talk about having inclusion in our schools. It's a very inclusive school system. Now, what they really mean is that we have an integrated school system. With integration, we are all in the school together. But unless our needs are accommodated, we are potentially on a path to exclusions and segregation. Now, when everybody's needs are accommodated, only then do we have inclusion. In our school system, we tend to have accommodations and inclusions As goals and hopes. We need to radically change things so that we start with inclusion and assume that we can accommodate everyone. Everyone wins when we accommodate everyone. And it shouldn't just be in schools where we think inclusion first, in the community, in programs, in social services, in customer service. In government, we need to look at the world around us and see where the barriers are and look at how we can remove them. Now, it's been my honor to be able to speak with you today and to share my insights about language and moving things forward towards a world of acceptance and a path to inclusion. As a society, we need to actively tear down the barriers all around us and accommodate everyone's unique needs and not their labels. And as we celebrate International Day of Persons with Disabilities today, and in fact, every other day of the year, let's celebrate our differences and our diversity. Words can change thoughts. Thoughts change hearts. Hearts change actions. And actions can change the world. Thank you. For more information, you can check out my website at autisticrambler.com. Or you can find me on Twitter, where I'm always tweeting, at, at Matt J. Dever, and I'll put those in the chat. And well, feel free right now to write any questions you have in the chat, and I will now answer as many questions as I can in the time we have left.
10: Wants to raise their hand, go ahead and we'll take those. As
1: well. Wow. It's not every day that I am shocked, speechless. That was an amazing talk by Maddie Dever, who talked a lot about the importance of language and gave me plenty to think about, and hopefully you as well. Let's take a quick break here, but when we come back, we'll dig into some entertainment and the balance of the Q&A for Maddie. Stay with us. This is AMI-audio live at the International Day of Persons with Disabilities Conference. This year's theme, breaking barriers making the invisible visible we'll be back in just a moment And welcome back to AMI Audio Live. I'm Jyothi Gupta. Today we're live at the International Day of Persons with Disabilities Conference organized by the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. Our theme for the conference this afternoon is Breaking Barriers, Making the Invisible Visible. We just had a really informative conversation about creating a language of inclusion, positivity, and acceptance for people with disabilities. In the next part of the conference, there is, I believe, a musical interlude. So on that note, get it? Note? I'm going to turn things over to the conference floor where they are in the process of taking some questions.
14: They, they sort of get immersed in this and they can share some of the... the you know, uh, stories about some kids that they're wondering how they can get some, you know, help through the challenges that this, this, that one of their particular kids has. Um, so that's how, that's how I approach it. Um, you know, whenever educators talk to me, that's what I, I really try to talk about. So sensory is a huge, a huge part of supporting kids in schools. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different environment. It can be loud. It can be bright. It can be, it can be constantly moving. And trying to be able to give suggestions on, on how to um, how, uh, find a way to make that less of a problem and find ways of accommodating kids. It's really, you know, the, the biggest thing I try to say is accommodate, accommodate, accommodate. And when kids are accommodated, they end up having, you know, more ability to trust their environment. And when they're in that good state, then they can start learning how to adapt to the changes that that, that are around them. But without accommodations, they really can't. Um, it's really difficult for them to succeed, and it's really difficult for them to thrive. And your second question is about parents. I did remember this. Um, the thing that I, the thing that I talk to a lot about with parents is your child at two is not going to be the same as your child at five, at ten, at fifteen, at twenty-two. The challenges that they have when they're younger they're going to grow through they're there going to be different challenges when they're older and I really encourage uh, parents of, of of younger autistic children when they're soon after they're diagnosed is to meet with parents of older autistic children meet with autistic adults so that you see that what you're going through now, which is very intense and challenging, does have you know, it it you know the it, it can be better. It can grow. It will be different. My son was uh, uh, he did not speak. Much. He had ten words until he was about four and a half, and then language came. But his, the challenges that we had with him when he was first diagnosed are not the challenges I have with him as an adult. You know, Daddy, he's twenty two now. Two
15: minute warning.
14: Okay, thank you. So I, I just rec- I, I recommend that that parents. Instead of um, being around other parents with the same kids, expand that and talk to parents who have been through it with other with older autistic children.
12: Thanks, Maddie.
10: Does anyone else want to ask a question? We've got less than two minutes, as <laughs> as Elizabeth so kindly
7: warned us. There's a comment on the chant from Anthony, more often than not, we're fa- faced with a mindset of reactive thinking and mindsets. We must move towards a proactive thinking mindset. Inclusion and accessibility must be front of mind to create collective prosperity. What has been the most stigmatic uh, is attitudinal barrier uh, that you believe must be eradicated.
14: Yeah, attitude is the key thing. Uh, attitude is one of the hardest things to change, but it's the cheapest thing to change. If you can change people's attitudes, you can get things going that are you could never have dreamed before.
4: Thank you very much, Mari. and for Sorry. that enlightening, inspiration speech. There will be time at the end. At 3 30 to ask more questions. Go ahead, Janet. Is there any more comments? Do we have still have one minute?
7: There was just one which, uh, since Mari was speaking about language, Grandmother Roberta said something which I uh, fully agree. Uh, she says, Hi, Mari, thank you for saying children, not saying kids. Uh, it's, it was a very common and a lot of thank yous and uh, messages of gratitude.
4: Okay. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much. We'll now have a 10-minute musical entertainment. And to introduce our musicians, I will now ask Christine to come forward.
0: Thank you very much, Minette. So I'd like to introduce Susanna McCleary, who is our violinist, and she's going to be accompanied by Dorothy Deval. Susanna was born in the L- London the United Kingdom and began studying classical violin in Oxford. She was voted Musician of the Year for Herefordshire in 2006, and upon moving in Canada, began learning traditional fiddle styles. She has also studied fiddling in Scotland and Ireland. She holds a music diploma from Mohawk College, where she gave violin lessons. For academic credit, and she holds a Bachelor of Music from McMaster University. During the COVID pandemic, she has been studying virtually to be a certified music practitioner at the Longhi School of Music, which will qualify her to play for individual patients in hospital and hospice settings. Over to you, Susanna and Dorothy.
2: Thank you, Thank Thank you, you. Christine, mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, welcome uh, everybody, it's just a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm going to play for you a set of three Scottish fiddle tunes, Neil Gall's Lament for James Moray, Cross Viverness, and Huey Shorty. Mm-hmm.
8: I think this has gone into transposition, which I didn't anticipate. Let's see. G. Why is that? I can't transpose. Why has that done that? This has never happened to me before. Please excuse. Um again. That's this. F- oh gosh. I don't know what to do. Um, I'm
10: really sorry. How uh, did you again? Yeah, we um When in doubt, turn off and turn back on, perhaps.
8: Um, I think it's. I'll try that. I'll do. I think it's one of the settings which I never use, so I'm not quite sure what's happened. How could that have happened? It. okay we've got it that was the solution thank you so much
0: wonderful okay, after,
8: that, after that little hiccup
0: yeah, <laughs> we're, we're all good
2: start
11: <laughs>
8: something's going wrong again just keep going all right.
2: and winter themes. The tunes in the first set are Winter Dream, yes, winter, winter, waltz, dreams. Uh, winter Waltz and um, Winter Memories. And these are all
8: fairly modern compositions by people, uh, Gary Rudman and Colin Hume, who actually write the music for the dances. so they're, they're, they're uh, 20, 21st century composers. Winter Dreams. Mm-hmm.
2: and the uh, winter theme I'm going to play for you are Drive the Cold Winter Away, Midwinter Maggot, and Corelli's Maggot. And uh, maggot is a term used as a f- for a fun English country dance.
8: Yeah, it has nothing to do with the little grub that you see. It's a maggot, a kind of trifle or plaything. So, Drive the Cold Winter Away. Hey, 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 hey.
4: Thank you. Thank you so much, Susanna and Dorothy. That was so lovely.
8: Thank
4: you. To call and my attention away for you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. And now it is time for our panel session, which will be moderated by Christine Daniel. Christine is a disability inclusion consultant with both corporate and community work experience. She has developed and implemented diversity and inclusion projects in employment and talent management. Christine facilitates training and workshops that promote equity and advancement in the workplace. And As an active member of the Alliance for Equality of Flying Canadians, she has led consultations, focus groups, and conferences to promote equal opportunities for people with disabilities. As a public speaker, Christine shares a passion for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Christine has a bachelor's degree in psychology from York University and a Certificate in Human Resource Management from Ryerson University. It's over to you, Christine.
0: Thank you very much, Minette, for that lovely introduction. We are now going to have our fireside chat. And as we reflect on breaking barriers, making the invisible visible, I'd like to introduce you to our four panelists, we have Amy Hutton. Hi, Amy. Hello, coming to you from Alberta, Canada? Um, and we've got Kevin McShan.
12: Good afternoon, everyone. I'm coming to you today from Windsor, Ontario, Canada.
0: Kevin. We have Chantal Oakes.
16: Good morning, I can still say, coming to you from British Columbia in Kelowna.
0: And we have Dorothy Riddle. Dorothy is on mute. You're gonna need
10: to you're gonna need to press star six, Dorothy. I've I've asked you to unmute, but that's about all I can do.
0: Ask again and it just That's fine. We will come back to Dorothy. Dorothy will be joining our conversation. So, as we think about breaking barriers, making the invisible visible, Amy, I'd like to start with you. Can you uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your story and your experiences?
15: Yeah, I am very grateful to be here. Thank you for inviting me and. I am going to be sharing a story when we come back around about actually not an invisible disability, but an invisible illness, an invisible syndrome that is still very taboo, and I'm very honoured to be sharing the experience of the syndrome that I live with.
0: Great. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I
15: am, as I said, here in Calgary, Alberta. My pronouns are she, her. And I am a LGBTQ2S Plus youth mentor, where I help young teens in the LGBT rainbow who need help in understanding who they are, their self-esteem, their self-worth, and all that jazz in private mentorship.
0: Thank you. Thanks so much. And Kevin, over to you. If you could tell us a little bit
12: about yourself. Yeah, no problem. And I want to thank Christine and the Alliance. For Equality from Wine Canadians for having me this afternoon. It's a real pleasure and honor to be here. My name's uh, Kevin McChan. I was born with what's called uh, spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy, simply means that I don't have enough oxygen in my legs, so normally I have a background in uh, inclusive employment. I was the developer at the YMCA where I helped. Uh, uh, individuals with disabilities and youth with disabilities find Mm. find and and maintain employment. I also served for a little bit with the Ontario Chamber of Commerce as one of their ambassadors for the Discoverability Network. And currently, I host a podcast on YouTube called Let's Have This Conversation, where I uh, cover all angles of our new cycle. And again, It's a real pleasure to be with you. What I'll talk to you uh, today about is uh, the impact of COVID-19 on uh, folks with disabilities, uh, some employment challenges and how we overcome them. So I'm really happy to be here and thanks again uh, for the invitation.
0: Hey, wonderful, Kevin. Now, Dorothy, were you able to join us? Just checking in.
10: She's still. I keep asking her. I keep giving her permission to unmute, and she needs to. She needs to hit star six. I think
0: that's what George had to do on the phone. Um, that's fine. I'm going to touch base with Chantal. Chantal, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
16: Thank you, Christine. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here today, and. Um, As someone who has partial sight, I was born with congenital cataracts and um, wasn't able to have received medical intervention at the time back in the 60s. They didn't know too much about uh, what to do, nor um, from the information I have, was I diagnosed early enough, I don't think. Um, and I just want to share a few of the experiences throughout my life and how I firmly believe that I employ Amy's uh, position where you have the power to make out of any situation what you want it to be. And because I didn't receive a lot of, I didn't have a lot of parental guidance in my life, I had to decide when I finally figured out who I was. and how i was struggling without enough vision like everyone else that i would have to make my own way carve my own path and so i did as i uh, set out to educate myself to become a uh, qualified social service worker then went on to have a career with federal government had children married and you know now have grandchildren so i'll share a little bit about that with all of you
0: Okay, great. Thank you so much. So back to you, Amy, can you share um, your story with us and and talk to us about some of your experiences?
15: Yes, I would love to. So I really do not like showers. And to be completely honest, I hate them. That's why I have really short hair. And after every shower, when I had longer hair, I would see a bunch of my beautiful hair in the drain catcher. One in 10 women in Canada and around the world live with polycystic ovarian syndrome, a hormonal imbalance that raises a woman's testosterone in her body. Some of the symptoms and signs that a woman will notice is that they have hair loss, hair growth, hard to lose weight, and the big one is irregular periods. I can remember growing up, when I started my menstrual time. I would bleed for seven days or even 10 days sometimes. And my cycle would be heavy a lot of the time. I would wear the nighttime pads during the day and I would have sometimes two or a three week break and I would start bleeding again. I thought this was normal. And when the teachers in school would say in the health class that I should only be bleeding for three or four days, I thought they were wrong. Is that what was going on in my body. This carried all the way into adulthood. My bleeding cycle was regularly irregular until I made the choice to have an IUD put into my body to stop my cycle. I need to back up, though, for a moment. PCOS took two years to be diagnosed as an adult and approximately eight years ago. This took me into many tests to figure out what was wrong with me and even firing my doctor and getting a new one. I was having low left stomach pain. The pain was so intense sometimes that it felt like a hot steak knife being jabbed into my lower stomach, twisted around and then pulled out. And I remember being at my first doctor's office, and unfortunately she had died, and the replacement doctor was helping me. The replacement doctor asked me in the span of 10 minutes that I saw him if I was pregnant. I strongly said no every time, thinking he must just not have looked into my history Back in 2004, I had emergency surgery to remove a 13-centimeter diameter cyst, as well as my left ovary and tube. I fired him and got a new doctor. The first thing she asked me after telling her my story is, had anyone ever talked to me about polycystic ovarian syndrome? My mental health had also been affected by living with PCOS. I lived with anxiety and PTSD sd already and the mental games as i like to call them play havoc on my system and my self-esteem today even when i looked at myself in the mirror this morning i didn't feel beautiful or feminine i was angry at my body for having this syndrome of pcos i need to go see my esthetician every three weeks or it looks like i have a mustache and the start of a beard growing under my chin if i don't see my esthetician I start to feel like I look like a man. Another side of living with PCOS and the side effects is that many women struggle to get pregnant. I look back at my life as a teenager and when speaking with my friends back then, I was always on the fence about having children. After I had one of many surgeries, the OBGYN doctor said to me that I cannot have children. Even though polycystic ovarian syndrome is not an invisible disability, it is an invisible syndrome that so many one in 10 women to be specific live with in Canada. Thank you for hearing my story.:
0: Great, Amy, thanks so much. You
10: and want Marcy, to try Dorothy? Try, yeah. Try if, I see you you're now unmuted.:
17: Yes, I am.
10: There we go. Okay.
0: okay. <laughs> now, can we pin Dorothy to the screen? We can't. Be, we cannot. On
10: the, no, I have tried. If I pin, I just wrote Maddie and I said, if I pin Dorothy, it removes the spotlight from everyone else. that what it pin, tells me.
14: Can we pin her just for now while she speaks and then? Unpin sure, her.
10: we can do that. We can. Yeah, Dorothy, me. if you'd like okay, to introduce yourself minute.
0: and share your your story just let me pin her so that
17: absolutely (laughs) so so i'll do my full five minutes at this point perfect perfect okay
10: Okay. just let me pin you just a sec
17: my computer is just doing
10: sorry it Picked the wrong person. Start speaking, Dorothy, and I'll get you up there.
17: (laughs) Okay. I'm Dorothy Riddle. Is that good?
0: Yeah. Go for it. Yeah, we're great.
17: Okay. I'm in Gibsons, B.C., and I'm speaking to you from the traditional unceded territory of the Coast Salish people. I want to talk to you today about HMD, or Hidden Mobility Disabilities, After gradually losing the ability to walk more than 40 feet without severe joint pain, I realized four years ago that the issue was not my being out of shape, but rather an actual physical limitation. Since society does not yet recognize distance to be walked as an access barrier, I began wondering if others faced similar constraints, and so I commissioned research on HMD. We found that millions of people with osteoarthritis, COPD, heart disease, or other health conditions can walk, but only 35 to 50 feet comfortably. This hidden mobility disability. Hello, this
1: is Juwita Gupta, and you're listening to AMI Audio Live at the AEBC Conference. This is talking about breaking barriers, making the invisible visible. We need to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we'll pick up where we left off. You'll be hearing from Dorothy Riddle talking about hidden mobility disabilities and the impact of that invisible disability on her life. Plus, the other speakers will get to have their say as well. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. Hello and welcome back. You're listening to AMI-audio live at the International Day of Persons with Disabilities Conference put together by the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. This afternoon's theme is, of course, breaking barriers, making the invisible visible. And my name is Chuita Gupta. In the two minutes that we were away on break, we were hearing from one of several panelists as part of the fire chat uh, Panel And we were listening to Dorothy Riddle, who talked about hidden mobility disabilities and how embarrassing it can be to tell someone, I just can't walk that far. Let's go back and listen
17: to the rest of Dorothy's remarks. There's a little bit of a problem on the first page right now, but if you click on home, uh, you'll get right in. I want to thank you very much for the opportunity to participate in this panel. Thank
0: you so much, Dorothy for your words, and I'd like to hear from Chantel if you could share your story with us. You're on mute, Chantel. There we go. Thank
16: you, sorry about that.
0: <laughs>
16: um, Again, thank you for allowing me to participate on this panel. And uh, at first I didn't think I would be qualified enough when, when I realized um, who else would be speaking and, and their qualifications. But then I began to understand that this is my story and probably there's no one more qualified to tell it than me. So, <clears throat> as I said, born with congenital cataracts back in the 60s, um, I don't think they really knew what interventions would be best in order to um, make things better for us. Um, Congenital cataracts means that your natural lenses are cloudy as opposed to being clear. And I'm not going to use any medical terms here, as this is not my area of expertise. But I um, have information that tells me my parents didn't really notice, and neither did medical professionals. So by the time everyone realized... there's something wrong with this baby, she can't see very well, or she's not doing the same things others are, then they probably took me to doctors who by then said, it's too late, we don't know what to do. However, um, at the age of six, I was taken to a boarding school in Montreal where I would attend um, for many years where other children had varying degrees of vision and some with total blindness. So in that setting, you don't feel like you're an outsider. You don't uh, feel like you're different because I see being partially sighted often as having a hidden disability. If you um, look and you know what you're looking for, you can see that I have problems with my eyes. I have nystagmus, which means my eyes wander all the time. And that's, that's okay. But most people when they're talking to you, they don't concentrate on that. Matter of fact, a lot of people that have known me for a long time say, I don't even think of you as being blind or partially sighted anymore, that they just understand that I manage well in most circumstances. But here's the thing, in a perfect environment, or what I might call perfect environment, if the lighting is good, if um, it's not too bright or too dim, or if the sun isn't in my eyes, or... People haven't moved things so that I'll trip over them without having to really stress out and, and look to make sure that there's nothing different, then it's all good. I have been partially sighted all my life, so I learned how to cope without uh, people really knowing. But in a sense, that that's kind of doing myself a little bit of disservice because. Um, I think sometimes I, I should remind people that there are occasions where I may need help. And, you know, for instance, if I asked to take your arm while walking into a very um, dark restaurant, because I've just come from the sunshine outside, that is, that is a, an instance where I might need a little bit of help. It takes me, if everyone could wait at the door for about 10 seconds, then I can get my eyes to focus on where I'm at and, how to manage better, but you know no one really does that. You walk in, you move forward, and where you go. Um, so by the time I was ready to um, go through high school, so my grades ten through twelve, the um you know the education system thought they were doing a good thing. They put us into a mainstream situation where we would attend public school uh with with everyone else and not be segregated well. With hundreds of kids in that school, I never felt so alone in all my life. Um, I I suspect this was probably where I went. Probably was I was the first person, blind or partially sighted, who attended um, both those schools. The teachers didn't know what to do. I didn't have a lot of support, even though I was promised I would. And again, um, I'll reiterate that my parents were of no help, so... I had to figure out that my life was beginning, and I, you know, as a teenager, and I was going to have to figure out for myself how to manage and when to tell people I couldn't see something or ask questions. So then I um, decided after high school I would educate myself further because this, you know, doing what I was doing wasn't going to help me financially or would I rise to the occasion of, you know, wanting to do what everybody else is doing, get married, have children and all of that. So I became um, certified as a social service worker. But here's the thing. This program was supposed to teach all about um, normalization they called it and they they talked about you know disabilities and we learned all of the all of those things and the program head had difficulty wanting to accept me into this program because I couldn't see well enough I don't I don't get it and unfortunately I wasn't the one who advocated um for myself then I had the support of um disability services from the college who pled my case and then you know they decided okay I could come into the program I did very well by the way and uh, so you know there are many instances in my life where um, I was afraid to say I couldn't see something for fear that then I would be judged because how come I could see something yesterday And today I can't, or I can't see it well enough to manage the task that you're asking me to do. And so, you know, when we first start out in life, at least in my teenage years, I had very little information about my disability. So how could I expect everyone else to understand when I didn't even have the tools that would help me to succeed? Um, Very uh, soon after, I found my my way through college, I decided I would become an advocate for people who are blind or partially sighted, and that's kind of how it all started. I'm a very active member of AEBC, and um, for those of you who know, I started a long time ago advocating for students, because that's where I was in my life, and then went on to, um, you know, find different organizations that did this kind of work, and Hopefully, I've been of some help to others, but definitely to employ the attitude that you have to make your own decisions about how you want to um, succeed and find a way to break those attitudinal barriers, which I think are um, probably One of the most things that I see happening is, you know, if if people thought for a minute, well, how did she get here? How did she, you know, how did I manage to do the things that I've done? And all of a sudden I'm sitting somewhere in a room where you perceive me as not being capable. So looking at our abilities as opposed to our disabilities would definitely help us. And uh, I agree Wholeheartedly with Matt's um, attitude and and um, you know speech about how you use the language to explain disabilities or to explain who we are makes a big difference, and uh, people should actually um, make uh, you know without making assumptions about who we are before they ask first instead of. Uh, uh, perceiving that we are disabled and probably a little less than what um, they expected us to be. So I just um, want to really bring home that uh, I am comfortable with my disability, but that doesn't mean all of uh, the people around me have the same skills or the same tools to be assertive enough to um, explain to others what they need and how they manage. And I will continue to be an advocate for as long as I can and to um, hopefully inspire others to um, sort of come out of their, their shell or their comfort zone and say, it's okay to let people know that you have some challenges but that doesn't mean that you're not capable. So um, I'll leave you with that thought. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Chantal, for, for your words. And Kevin, I'd like to hear from you about your story, your experiences.
12: So uh, thanks for that, uh, Christine. And I want to thank the uh, uh, Alliance for Blind Canadians for having me again on as we commemorate uh, this important day it's a real pleasure and privilege to be here today and the first thing i want to tell you is that for me i've always lived my life with an overriding desire and commitment to facilitate the greater understanding of our connectivity uh, and how people connect for well, it's my belief that similarities are our vehicle we can utilize to bridge the gaps of division and fortify the benefits of unity. It's within that spirit that I take the formal opportunity to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Kevin McShann, and my overriding life philosophy and firm belief is that that inclusion is the gateway to independence you know i've as i told you at the beginning of our conversation this afternoon i've lived my entire life was bested quadriplegic cerebral palsy and i've chosen to use my circumstances to be an agent of positive change using the platform excuse me using the platforms that I've created both personally and professionally to always assist others in maximizing their fullest potential. As we gather the mark today, which aims to promote an understanding of disability issues and uh, mobilize support for the dignity, rights, and well-being of persons with disabilities, I reflect upon the journey uh, to achieve objectivity, uh, fairness, and equality and equity for our special needs community. Specifically today, I want to discuss employment uh, mental health and the impact on individuals with disabilities and the COVID-19 crisis. For some context, I want you to consider this. Part of my background, as I told you in the beginning, was inclusive employment for folks with disabilities. Uh, And I help them uh, maintain and uh, locate gainful employment. Uh, It was March of 2020. I had just left the YMCA. Really excited to rejoin my friends over at the Ontario Chamber of Commerce for the Discoverability Network in Winter and Essex County. Which for those of you that don't know, it's Ontario's new online job management portal for individuals with employers, uh individuals sorry, with disabilities and employers to get connected a week before I would really schedule to sign my new contract, COVID hit. So then I had to ask myself, how was I going to reinvent myself? So I took a couple of t- uh, a couple of weeks, and then I decided what's my best vehicle where I can uh, be of most assistance. Because you know, I became part of the 5.5 mil- million people in our workforce that are experiencing job loss or reduced employment because of the pandemic, uh, according to Statistics Canada. So, I had to ask myself, how would I uh, reinvent myself? So, I came up with the idea to start a YouTube podcast called Let's Have This Conversation. You know, I went back to my roots and passion. For journalism. So in May of 2020, I've created and host a YouTube channel, with Christine, you were on just this week as we promoted today's conference. Uh, the the uh, podcast is called Let's Have This Conversation. And I mentioned I started the platform in May of 2020. Uh, and to date I've conducted over uh 350 interviews. And over 280,000 people have uh, viewed the channel. So I'm very proud of what we've done with the channel. So what's the takeaway? You may be asking yourself, why did you feel you have to rebrand yourself You know, I always look at life this way. Life is an opportunity for constant reinvention. And what I mean by that is you have a chance to reinvigorate and recalibrate yourself each and every day because each day of living is a new opportunity for advancement, both personally and professionally. You know, I also believe that talent is distributed equally, but the access to opportunities sometimes uh, is not. So it's important that we all work together to create an environment which inspire which inspires creativity, simulates intellectual curiosity, and fosters critical thinking. How do we do that? We do this by accomplishing By meeting people where they are and making sure that we fit whatever job we're asking them to do, the job fits the person instead of always fitting the person to the job. Because I think creativity and our uh, ability to explore different angles of creativity is our best Vehicle towards unity and understanding. So the last message I want to leave you with uh, is that there's no better time than now for to uh, create an inclusive workforce, and it starts with being open to the notion of pulling out a chair uh, at the table of inclusion, which will then which will then. Uh, permit all voices to be heard. So with that proceeding, I want to thank you once again for having me as a part of today's uh, fire and sign chat. And I also want everybody to know that all voices matter and there's no, uh, there's no artificial, uh, Uh, requirement to uh, join uh, the conversation of inclusion. It's a real pleasure to be here this afternoon. And again, I want to thank everyone at the uh, Alliance for having me this afternoon to engage in in this important discussion. So with that, Christine, I'll turn it back to you. And uh, I'm looking forward to our uh, chat this afternoon.
0: Okay, well, thanks so much, Kevin, for for your comments and your thoughts and your inspiring words. So let's let's talk about the difficult question: Why is it so difficult to talk about mental health? You know, there's a mental health crisis out there. Why do you think it's so difficult to talk about this subject?
12: Do I me go first?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
12: Well, I, I think when we look at mental health, Christine, I think uh, there are there's a lack of uh, community community of understanding, and there's also a lack of resources to help move the needle forward. You know, uh, when we look at mental health, we always say that it's underserved, but we don't uh, service the underserved. So I think. Uh, creating an environment where we uh, provide more resources uh, so that people feel that they have a, 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 a an environment of inclusion. It goes back to what I said at the beginning of my remarks. It's about building bridges of inclusion. And I don't think enough people with mental health feel that they have the bridges of Uh, 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 bridges of acceptance, which then would include them in societal discussion. So I think we have to do a much better job of setting up uh, the systematic uh, environments where people feel that uh, they can uh, openly express their mental health concerns and then get the adequate uh, assistance necessary in order to address those issues.
0: Amy I'd like to bring you into the conversation the story you shared with with us um, you know I mean it really hurts my heart that you went through what you went through and I'd li- like to hear your perspective on why it's so difficult to talk about mental health
15: it's difficult thank you Christine It's it's difficult to talk about mental health even still today in 2021 because there's still a stigma around it and people don't always know what to say to someone who's having example, an anxiety spike or a PTSD flashback. Um, That's been my own personal experience that when I've been going through some anxiety or having a a PTSD spike, people don't know what to say to me. And I feel this is equally important for, you know, youth, the young people that um, they Sometimes youth have a hard enough time expressing who they are, what they do, and all that jazz in general. And and it's just um, a cycle. And I see in the comment that Maureen wrote that, and gyne- oh dear, I love this word, gynecological health uh, is also, it's not spoken about. Like, as it said, one in 10 women live with PCOS, but you don't hear commercials about it. You don't hear the... Things unless it's the month of September, where that is the the month to be aware of PCOS. But like just like mental health, it's every day, thirty six you know days a year, twenty four hours a day.
0: I yeah, it's um, I think it's something that we have to talk about all the time. And if I reflect. <laughs> When we ask ourselves, when we're out walking around and we say, hey, how are you? Everybody's buzzword is we're fine, you know, but in reality, maybe we're not fine. And I think this is an opportunity in this conference to really um, be able to share those experiences and say, hey, I'm not fine. I'm feeling isolated. I'm feeling lonely. Um, The numbers are going up. There's, there's a lot of things that are on our minds, the variant uh, that's out there. What does it mean for us? Does it now mean that we're going to be shut down at Christmas or Hanukkah, you know, for those who celebrate um, in the Jewish faith? So so lots to think about. And I want to bring Chantel and Dorothy into the conversation, and when we're faced with skepticism and when people doubt that you indeed have a disability, how do you manage this situation? Chantal, sure, over th- to you. Oh,
16: thank you. Um, you know, sometimes I have to survey a little bit where the skepti- skepticism is coming from because Unfortunately, there are people who um, even though you want to try and educate them, they're not willing to take part in the conversation. They they want a, a sentence that has, you know, four or five words and that should explain everything. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate, but those people have a bit of a harder time accepting that um, there is a little more to it than that. Um, and... I choose carefully how I speak to someone and and the words that I say, Um, but it's better to at least acknowledge that they are the ones who have some issues with understanding about my limitations. And also it's important that I get them to understand those are my limitations as an individual we're all different we all we don't all require and fit in the same basket we don't require the same accommodations we don't um have to be perceived as as you know one of the same people need to remember we're all individuals and if you have some problems understanding my abilities, then you need to ask. So I definitely like to encourage people to ask the questions. Then as I said, if I can see that, you know, they don't want the long explanation. I have to figure out a way in in a short version to um, let them know that while I may need accommodations, I may need to you know, take a different path to get to where you want me to go, I'll still get there. It may take me a little longer. And this is something that we discussed a lot when I was working. It um, may take me a little longer to do something, but I, I can reassure you that it'll be done properly, done the way you wanted. And um, you just, you know, hopefully will accept that I had to take a different path but the results are still there.
0: Thank you so much for that. And Dorothy,
17: uh, if you'd like to respond. You. Yeah, thank you. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, absolutely. Okay, great. I didn't know if I'd gotten cut off again. Um, no. There, I'd like to respond uh, from a couple of perspectives. One of the challenges I think that we're facing as a society, is that we are not in the habit, or we've gotten out of the habit, of talking with each other at an emotional level, mm-hmm. instead of just a kind of superficial intellectual level. And when you're dealing, when you're talking about sensitive issues like uh, one's abilities or disabilities, uh, it's important to be able to connect that way and to and to uh, create uh, occasions within, within your community, uh, where that happens and, you know, with social networking tools, it would appear that we're all very close to each other, but in my experience, a lot of posting that happens is about self. It's not about trying to understand somebody else. And so we, you know, we, we have a environment in which, in my experience, The focus is not on listening and wanting to share what someone else's emotional experience is. So that's one thing. Another thing that makes it very complicated is that I would bet, I don't know for sure, but I would bet that all of us vary from day to day or hour to hour in terms of what our experience is. There are some days when I can walk quite easily um, further than I can other days where I really can hardly walk at all. And so trying to deal with that varying experience is also hard, you know, makes it hard in talking to other people. And then finally, I'd like to share an experience that I had that it was very poignant to me uh, and it underscored to me the importance of doing advocacy work to educate others about the disabilities that they have and what it is they can do about them. I, was, I used to travel a lot uh, internationally, and I, one day I was at the Vancouver International Airport. I was at the gate for my flight. I had, over the years, gotten lots of experience in how to deal with wheelchair assistance, Uh, One of them being that uh, I would not allow myself to be put on the cart and just dropped off 100 feet away from the gate, but I would insist on wheelchair assistance, and then I would insist on the wheelchair being left with me at the gate, because otherwise what would happen was when boarding started, there would be no wheelchair assistance. So I was there. I was seated. uh, I had stayed seated in the uh, airport's wheelchair. And I saw the cart come up to the gate, stop the usual 100 feet away, and a woman get off and walk very, very, very slowly towards the gate. And she came over and she sat down next to me. And I said to her, um, it looks to me like you're in a lot of pain Uh What's, go- what's going on? I'm surprised you didn't get wheelchair assistance. She said, well, I asked for wheelchair assistance, but they told me to take the cart. She said, I only have one lung, and it gets really hard to breathe as I'm walking. Oh,
0: my
17: gosh. So, you know, we talked a few more moments, and then it was time to board the flight. And the flight attendant who came over to take me down Uh, In the wheelchair, I I said to her, you know, this woman also needs wheelchair assistance. And the flight attendant uh, or or the gate attendant said to her, oh, I know you can walk. I saw you walk over here. This is a very common occurrence. Uh, And I said, she's really in a lot of pain. She needs help. And the woman turned to to this other person whose name happened to be Barbara and said, you can walk to the plane, can't you? And Barbara, unsurprisingly, said, well, yeah, I can walk. And so at that point, as you can imagine, the gate assistant made the decision that she did not have to help Barbara. And instead, she took me and uh, took me down the jetway. And you can imagine how I felt leaving her behind, knowing that she needed the assistance that I was getting. But since she didn't say herself, yes. I need that assistance, there was nothing more that I could do. Very painful.
0: That's very painful. You know, I education and training is just so much needed. Um, <laughs> That's
1: what comes that to was mind. a very painful story related to us by Dorothy Riddle, who is one of the panelists at this afternoon's Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians conference, talking about breaking barriers, making the invisible visible. I'm Joyita Gupta. Let's take a quick break. but When we come back, we'll go back to the fireside chat as things seem to be heating up. Stay with us. Welcome back. AMI Audio is live at the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians annual conference celebrating International Day of Persons with Disabilities. Our theme this afternoon: breaking barriers, making the invisible visible. I'm Juita Gupta. They've just opened up the floor for questions from the audience. It's been an afternoon of lively discussion and debate. Let's take you there now.
7: My We've talked, Maddie talked about the medical model and this social model. We'll be hosting an Accessible Mental Health Disability Advisory Committee, COVID and beyond, meeting before the new year. And if you're interested, there's an email in the chat, info at nnmh.ca. And this was Ellen. uh, And also, um, you know, Maddie said that who would like to take part. I don't see any hands, but that would be uh, all the comments. Okay. So yes.
0: Well, thank you so much for all those comments. Now, does anybody have any questions for any anyone at this point?
10: And just to let everybody know that that um, everyone is still a co-host, so everybody should be able to unmute themselves. I should have questioned, come to you.
0: We have a quiet bunch. We do. Wow. Well, I'd like to bring Ada into the discussion. We haven't heard from our co-host. No, we have not. Yeah. It's been pretty quiet. Oh. Someone
10: just, uh... It's so it's. In the t- oh, there you are. There's Joena. Hello, everyone.
1: I'm good. I have a small question. We're talking about invisible disabilities. Can we have a conversation about when and how and to whom is the best way to disclose an invisible
11: disability?
14: I I would say, when. When you have a, a, a need that needs to be accommodated, um, is the time to do it. Um, when, when, you, when you're first seeing that you're uh, a challenge in front of you that um, needs some support, but only do it when you feel safe in the environment that you're in. So if you're in a job that you're um, that you're comfortable with, but you're, you're you're hitting something that you've not you've not experienced before. Um, Asking for the accommodation before the struggle gets too much is always good, but if you're in a place where it's you're uncomfortable, um, I would you know there there are some disability job coaches, uh, disability support people in some areas that you may be able to engage to do the conversation for you. So it really it depends on your comfort level, but I, I would honestly say that that and you can always ask. I try to focus people on needs instead of labels. So, it's not always important to disclose your disability, but it's important to disclose the needs that you have if they're going to get in the way of the, the things that you need to do.
17: Hey, this is Dorothy, um, and I just wanted to contribute that, in my experience, at least with hidden mobility disabilities, it's absolutely critical not only to be uh, educating and supporting individuals, but to be working at a more systemic level. L- let me give you an example. Um, I arrived at a, a medical facility to be uh, to see the specialist that was dealing with my mobility issue. Uh, this is a new facility that I was going to. Um, I had called ahead to make sure there was Uh, disability parking. And they said yes. And so when I got there, I parked there and found that I was almost a block away from the building. There was no parking that was actually near the building. So I slowly made my way over to the building. I get to the building. Fortunately, there was a little bench inside that I could sit down and rest. Then I had to make my way over to the elevators, which were further than I could comfortably walk. Once I went up to the stair, uh, to the floor where the specialist was, I had to walk about uh, 150 to 200 feet to get to that office. Once I was in the office, now remember this is someone who's dealing with my my mobility issue. Then to get to his office, I had to walk uh, along two sides of a square. And I kept uh, pulling nursing station uh, chairs over and sitting down. And the receptionist was very angry with me that I would do that. I said, I, I, I can't walk this far. It, the whole thing was ridiculous. The reason I was there was because I couldn't walk very far. And there was who was I supposed to ask? There was nobody out in the parking lot. There was nothing that was going to get me into the building, up the elevator, across the floor. So it's not, always, it's not always so simple to try to state a need because there may be nobody to state it to and nothing that they would do about it anyway. Does, does anybody else have that kind of experience?
0: Hello? Every everybody is quiet. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I can always follow up with yeah. another question unless you've got something in the chat or other people want to take a take a take a crack at asking a question.
14: So one of the, there's a question in the chat um, from from Moo. Uh, during pandemic time, the living cost go, uh, the living cost goes, was so high. How can a disabled person cope with such small amounts of money that is given to the person as assistance? Is there any way to uh, for advocacy to increase the amount of assistance? And uh, what I had put in the chat was uh, I engage in this advocacy all the time, especially on Twitter but also with the political connections that I try to have. But I think this is I think we need all disability organizations. To work together and really, really push together for this critical change, you know, there's there's a push nationally for the, um, uh, the, 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 the 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 national disability benefit that's out there being talked about, and hopefully, will get to us. There's a push to get that done sooner, but there's a there's still a need in Ontario uh, where many of us live that there's a need to advocate to get the changes because this is where we are right now, and. The the amounts for disability um, do not come anywhere close to the cost of living. They're they're definitely contributing to us, uh, you know, poverty to to, to hunger to um, housing uh, housing issues and food issues. But we really need you know one voice doesn't do it. Two voices doesn't do it. We need all of our voices collectively to work together to try to make this a priority.
11: Christy. Elizabeth
10: has a question. Have- and I have I have actually something to add um, from from Grandmother Roberta. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, once I get back there. Sorry, I got I got my braille display just went Okay. And- All right this i'm I'm going to send this I'm going to ask Amy this question since she works with youth and I think this is a a good question for her. So, how is this way of life for a youth taken care of when this life way follows them in their future? This is when most times it worsens for our for our youth abuse from teachers, peers, and others adults verbal especially when it is not noticed physically?
15: Yeah, good question. So what I tell, when I do my talks and presentations to youth groups and and schools and, and such is keep telling someone until something is done. Like keep sharing your story, keep asking for help, keep saying that I'm not in a good place and keep sharing, keep talking, Um, because we all know sitting here today that sometimes home is not the safe space for a young person to ask for help or express who they are at their core. So if there's a a coach or a teacher or uh, example, a girl guide leader or a scout leader, uh, that they can ask for help, gain that support and then I want to turn it around and talk to the, car- I say caring adult, so that teacher that youth leader, that soccer coach if a young person has come to you to say I need help and they, they explain a situation to you, whatever it may be, maybe bullying, maybe their mental health, maybe eating disorder maybe some sort of violence that's happening to them please believe them They are coming to you because they trust you. You know, when I took a suicide prevention course for youth and for children, um, the suicide for prevention here in Calgary, youth are 14 to 18 and then children are 14 and under. And in both courses that I took, we were taught that the child chooses their safe person to come to, to talk to. And you as their safe person, are steering them to safety and steering them to, to get help. So that is what I want to say about the youth is, you know, yes, they may be living with a disability or mental health or something is going on with them and they need us as leaders, as adult leaders, as youth leaders, as caring adults to believe them and to steer them to safety.
10: And Rober- R- grandmother Roberta wants to say something. I'm going to ask her to unmute. You should be able to unmute now. All right. Oops. You did and then you didn't. I'll ask you again. Just a minute. It's unmuted. Oh, there you go. Good.
3: Okay. Go yes. ahead. Okay. Yeah, the other side of that is um, <clears throat> um, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, the um, the the children, the youth, um, they're in school, and um, they have to walk home. There's no bus route for their their access to from school to home at times. And sometimes the the uh, the the abuse takes place by other students, and it's very um, unpleasant when you see an adult walk by or go by, and drive by, and not intervene when um, this altercation is taking place with the, with the young people, and they're they're. Um, not paid attention to when they reported. Uh, even the police have a reaction negatively to that child. And there's there doesn't seem to be a care. That, that's what it looks like. And whether it be on reserve or in, in town, on the way to school or on the way to, 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 to home, and this happens in the communities, in the smaller communities that um, I'm aware of and that parents um, disclose to me. And um, I'm unable to, to take it, you know, to really guide them physically other than just to, just to talk. Um, it, it is very hard for them to say what they need to say because sometimes um, it takes hours for them to talk about something, and they want to do it short because they're on the phone. And I I ensure them that um, it's okay. You don't need to limit yourself on the phone. Go ahead, so that that allows them, and and also too, um, when they're living with a, a parent. One is very caring and one is the opposite. So it um, it it hinders the child. And then when the child gets older, we call it the fast life when they're in the teenage life because things just go fast, they want to go. And and they're growing with this, so they're leaving things behind. And when they come into adulthood, they have not dealt with that back there and now they're confronted with that again because they're going through it again with the um when they're adult young adults are going through it when they have children their child's going through that so this is um what what some of the um the issues are and also why some of the uh the adults um don't pay attention to the youth and this worsens um as they grow older and then that's self-hindrance comes in that way, and they don't realize it. And the important part is um, uh, they have not dealt with, the family has not dealt with that issue in the background and and uh, in their their generations and what they went through. And, and we call that blood memory. So blood flow is very strong. Um that's why we, we 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 uh talk with them from generations to generations for them to understand the past of their ancestry, their great grandmother as a child. So we need to um do something like that. And that's what some of the things that now uh, we are trying to do. And um, it, it takes a while, but it 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 moves. And um, we just uh, are very careful in how we we work that with uh, the young person because the young person may not fully understand And also, if the adult doesn't feel that they understand that then they move the child ahead where they send the child to to uh, another person, another health care provider and the their health care. And that. um Someone said here on the word is
11: misunderstood. Grandmother
0: Roberta, we're having difficulty hearing you. You're coming in and out. Okay. And on that thought... Oh, yeah. and,
10: and we have one one person who wanted
0: to, uh, to speak. Yes, we have Lizbeth. Yes. Okay. So
10: okay. I'm going to un- uh, thank you very much, Grandmother Roberta. Mm-hmm.
0: Hello, are you able to hear me? Yes, yes, we can hear you. Awesome. So, this question would be towards Maddie. Um, I initially asked the question to Melanie, but I wanted to know what your insight was of it. Um, so, I'll ask it again, which is Did you have any biases toward, or do you have any biases towards individuals with disabilities? Um, and what do you think about those who have biases towards other people with disabilities?
14: Um, I have a positive bias towards people with disabilities, um, and I, I always have. So, are, are you talking about? Okay, can you explain what you mean by biases, and then I'll I'll I'll, I'll frame my my answer. Just to, so just so I'm clear. Can you unmute Elizabeth?
10: Oh, did someone mute her again? Ah.
14: Oh, it's... Uh, so, I, I think the the biggest way of I'm, I'm going to answer the way I uh, I think you're asking the question. I think the way to help challenge people's biases is by having you know introducing people, being around other people with disabilities. The more that you have relation with people, the more you're connecting with people, the more you're going to see the differences. And it's um, the, the, the diversity and the amazingness of, of all of us. Um, I, I think that's you know, when it comes to uh, learning how to be around autistic people, find autistic adults, find, uh, find autistic teens, find parents that have older kids and, and um, share their experiences. Uh, ask questions. Feel free to, Challenge yourself and challenge what you the 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 stereotypes and biases that you think uh, are, are about any any person with a disability, because I, I guarantee you that what you think isn't what uh, isn't what you'll ex- what you'll experience.
0: Thank you, and you I'm, answered that very well. Um, now, just a quick follow up question would be: um, to be able to engage myself with those who. With people with disabilities, what would, what is an advice you would provide to us regarding good questions to ask to better educate ourselves?
15: Um, Just a second. There's, it's a one minute warning till uh, the panel discussion is supposed to end.
0: Actually, uh, yeah, (laughs) definitely. Maddie, if you could put your comments in the chat. And Lizbeth, we're going to follow up in, in terms of providing uh, information with the conference, with a, a recording and, and notes around all the questions that have been asked. I know there is also another person who had just raised their hand. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to thank Amy and Kevin and Chantal and Dorothy for their time with the fireside chat and i'd like to turn it over to marcy yale our tech guru and she's also the national president of the alliance to wrap up for us okay and i'm gonna oh huh, i can't even
10: i can't spotlight myself isn't that neat
14: you're spotlighted i just oh. i just did that yes oh,
10: sweet okay there you go <laughs> well it takes a village to make a conference that's for sure so i'd like to thank minette samaru rmc ian white for housekeeping and joita for her co-hosting prowess thank you joita for hopping in and joining the fray Uh, i'd like to thank the other members of the speaker review committee of which i was a proud member uh janet rodriguez elizabeth novak and christine zanier for helping us choose all of our wonderful speakers who joined us from across the can the country which is great so i want to thank Grandmother Roberta for setting the tone of the event.
1: Melanie... And that's all the time we have, folks. As you can hear, they're wrapping up and we're ready to head out as well. I'd like to thank the team from the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians for putting together such a thought-provoking and excellent conference. Today's event has been... Produced and uh, hosted by me, Joita Gupta, with technical support from a technical producer, Matt Agnew. Paula Janine is our technical supervisor. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio. And Janice davidson Presick is manager for marketing and communications at Accessible Media. If you want to go back and listen to any of this conversation and conference, maybe you want to go back and listen to the music, hear the keynote addresses again. You'd be able to find all of that wherever you get your podcast. AMI-audio live events are made available to you afterwards as a podcast. So do remember to catch us there. In the meantime, happy International Day of Persons with Disabilities. Thanks for sh- spending your afternoon with us. We really appreciate it. Stay safe. And we will now turn you over to regular AMI-audio programming. I've been your host, Juita Gupta. Take care, everyone. Have a good rest of your weekend.